This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Well, hey everyone, how's everyone doing on this Palm Sunday? That's all we got? Come on, on this Palm Sunday, when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, For the sake of your sins and for my sins, how are we doing on this bright and glorious Palm Sunday? Amen, amen. I'm grateful for Pastor Tom and Candy. They were supposed to be out of town, and they decided to come back a little early and sit in the service while I preach. love their support. Um, I honor them and as leaders in the house. There was a, amen, amen. There was a, um, a pastor in Egypt that was underneath heavy persecution. That particular region came under um, fire from radicals and a lot of people were being kidnapped, even children, and beheaded. And this particular pastor in Egypt had a friend that is a pastor here in the United States. And that friend heard about what was going on and he contacted the, the, the pastor in Egypt and said, hey, how can we, how can we help? What, what can we do? They couldn't fly in, they couldn't get in there or anything like that. They were contacting even the United States government to see what could be done and there was nothing that could be done. And so he contacted this pastor and said, We need to help. We need to partner. Even if we can't be there tangibly, physically, how can we partner with you in prayer? We want to pray strategic prayers, not aimless prayers. How can we partner? And I will never forget the response I heard from this particular pastor under heavy persecution in Egypt to the pastor in the United States. He says, if you pray for us, you will pray the wrong things. You will pray that the church will be safe. You will pray for persecution to cease. We're not praying for these things. We ask God for the salvation of Egypt. We ask that he draw millions of Muslims to Jesus Christ. We ask that we will be bold and clear in sharing our faith with those that are of the Muslim radicals. And we pray when the inevitable persecution comes that we will not run, that we will not flinch. So if you pray, pray for, pray, pray for boldness, that we will be bold in the gospel, that we will be faithful under persecution, even to the extent of our very lives. So will you tell your church to, to pray these prayers for us? This is incredible. What an an insight to say, please don't pray for God to deliver us from persecution, but pray that, that we would have boldness to be able to endure in the midst of persecution. Most of us can't pray those prayers. Most of us, we don't want to pray in that space, allowing the idol of comfort 
We allow the idol of comfort to overtake and rob us of God and what he wants to do in those moments in our lives to show us the glory because we want to see the God of the Red Sea. We just don't want to see the Red Seas. We want to see God split the Red Sea in two, but we don't want to get into position where we're standing in front of a Red Sea, where we are praying for God to split that Red Sea in two. So we want to see the glory of God, the majesty of God, the power of God, but we just don't want to be in situations where we need it. And that's what this pastor was saying. Quite often, we bend in our difficulty we bend towards our circumstance. We bend towards our situation. We bend towards God. See me. See what I'm going through. See my situation. See my circumstance. And we bend towards God. Fix it. Make it better. Make it comfortable. Make it a road of ease for me. And God wants us to bend in those moments of difficulty. Bend towards him and ask him, what would you have me to do? Give me your perspective in the midst of turbulation. Give me your, your eyesight. Give me your vision. Help me to understand what you're wanting to do in my life to show your glory in this situation. The first Palm Sunday, a little over 2,000 years ago, they missed the Messiah because they were looking for a king of ease. Y'all ready for this today? They missed the Messiah because they were looking for the wrong king. And oftentimes we miss him. I know you're thinking, well, that was over 2,000 years ago. Mm -mm. No, it's not. We still miss him. We miss what God wants to do in our lives. We miss the glory of God that wants to show up in our lives because we're looking for a road of ease. A road of comfortability. The Messiah, Emmanuel, God with them was in their midst, but they were focused on the wrong thing. Their eyes were fixed on the wrong things. Their, their heart was attentive to their situation. These were people of God, worshiping in the temple of God, in the midst of God, and they missed God. Oh yes. This happens in the hearts of people, in hearts of those people on that first Palm Sunday over 2,000 years ago, and it is happening now right here in the midst of our turbulations, in the midst of our difficulty, right now in the world, we're still missing God and what he wants to do in our midst. I wanna read the text, but before I do, I wanna give you a backdrop, a little history, historical background on which this text falls on. Several weeks before this particular passage that we're gonna to read together in Luke chapter 19, Jesus had done a notable miracle one of his most famous miracle. Matter of fact, the passage that we're about to read today is one of the few passages that's written in all four gospels. This particular passage is a parallel passage in Luke 19, Matthew 21, John 12, and Mark 11. So Jesus had done a noteworthy, one of his most greatest miracle, and that was raising Lazarus from the dead. 
After he raised Lazarus from the dead, um, um, he took a trip to Bethany, just two miles east of Jerusalem. This had given enough time for the news and the story and the narrative of Lazarus being raised from the dead to spread throughout the region. The people that were there in Bethany that saw that miracle began to spread what happened throughout the region. So Jesus is taken on a journey. He left the area and he went into Galilee. He spent some weeks in Galilee. Then he begins to move south across the Jordan and enters Jericho. While in Jericho, he heals two blind beggars. You remember blind Bartimaeus. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. You remember that. That was one of the blind beggar that Jesus had healed on that day. He then encounters Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus, the tax collector. He was small, and so he had to climb up in a sycamore tree to be able to see Jesus. As he's looking for Jesus, Jesus spots him and says, you, I'm going to stay at your house today. They were all angry because how could he stay at this sinner man's house but Jesus went into this man's house and the entire family of, of Zacchaeus get saved and turn their lives around as a result this tax collector the blind beggars they're all following Jesus on this journey Jesus goes back towards Bethany he makes his way around and he goes back towards Bethany but his eyes was on Jerusalem Listen, I've read this passage. I don't even know how many times I've read this passage in my Christian walk, in my Christian journey. But something on this Palm Sunday, all these years later, that hits me differently. About Jesus and his eyes. You know why it's called the passion of the Christ? He was passionate about the cross. We're going to dig into this today because I'm praying that we give a revelation. Pastor Tom, pray that, that we get a greater insight of what this Jesus, what Jesus Christ, son of the living God, what his heart was for you and for me. His eyes were set on Jerusalem. This is the focus of Jesus. Sometimes we get lost. We think that Jesus came to heal blind people and Jesus came to make the lame walk and Jesus came to stop a woman getting stoned from getting stoned in the act of adultery or he came to deliver the demoniac or he came to feed the thousands. And yes, that is true. He did phenomenal things, but that is not why Jesus came. Mm -mm. Jesus came to die, church. So he's walking, but his eyes is set on Jerusalem. Why? Because a cross awaited him in Jerusalem. The crucifixion awaited him at Jerusalem. And that is where he was bent on going. So he arrives and he gets to um, um, Bethany where he lands in um, the house of his good friends, Mary, uh, Martha, and Lazarus. And a lot of people are gathered there at the time. They want to see, yes, it's the Passover, but they want to see Jesus and this dead man that is now living, Lazarus. John's gospel tells us that he arrives in Bethany six days before the Passover, which would have been a Saturday. Since the Passover is on a Friday, he arrives at the home of his friends 
and they honor him with a dinner just before he begins the final week leading to his death. And on the following day is where we pick up this scripture. I want us to read what it says in Luke chapter 19. It's also in your app, and they're going to um, put it on the screen perhaps as well. Do me a favor, though. In reverence to the Lord, I would like for us to stand in the reading of God's word. Let's, let's just do that together in unison. Let's stand before the Lord. Let's read. Luke 19 says, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied. A colt is a baby of a donkey on which no one has ever yet sat. No one has ridden this colt. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat on Jesus, they set it on, set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the, on the road as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray no stone will cry out in our place. I pray that today you will use your word that is powerful and it is true. It is sharper than any two-edged sword is cut between bone and marrow, revealing the intents of man heart. Lord, use your word today and pierce us. Grant revelation. Open our eyes to see Jesus in the scriptures. Let it not just be another black ink on paper or a screen that we're reading from, but let it be truth that leads to freedom. Set your people free today, Lord God. Grant revelation that leads to transformation. And if you believe that all God's people said, amen, amen, you may be seated. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey on that day, the first Palm Sunday, a little over 2,000 years ago, there would have been a massive crowd that would have been gathered around him. And the reason why the crowd was there, many of those were coming because it was a Passover season. So they were coming for the Passover, which is very significant because the Passover festival is one of the most celebrated festivals on the Jewish calendar. This would be the time that they would celebrate the fact that the death angel passed over them in Exodus when they, when they killed the lamb and put the blood of the lamb over their doorpost. And so when the death angel saw the blood that was over a doorpost, the death angel will pass over that house. 
and that house was covered because of the blood. Remember that. The house was covered because of the blood. And so they would give a celebration in honor of this. And during this time of year, Jerusalem was filled to capacity. A theologian would say that there would have been about a little over 2 million people that would have been gathering in Jerusalem at that time. And when they knew that Jesus would have been there, this, this man who raises the dead and opened blind eyes, this miracle work and wonder, there was a stir among these millions of people, they wanted to see who is this Jesus? Is what they say about him true? John tells us that the big crowd heard that Jesus was coming into town, keeping in mind that there were no Twitter back then. There was no, no one was tweeting that Jesus was coming. There was no one talking on, on TikTok that Jesus was coming. There was no Instagram stories that Jesus was coming. No mass emails that Jesus was coming. All these people knew is that they heard from testimonies about what this meant. Never underestimate the power of your testimony. Because it was that testimony, testimony. Because it was that testimony that drew these people near. A group of people would have been with Jesus and they would have been excited. But Jesus coming to Jerusalem on this day has nothing to do with the excitement of people. It has nothing to do with him trying to prove himself to his skeptics. Trying to prove that, yes, I am the Messiah. Let me show you a miracle. No. Three things that I want us to be clear of, and you can look in your notes. Three things Jesus makes clear on Palm Sunday is that his coming was emphatically communicating that he comes as a king. He comes as a king. Here are some things that were done pointing to the kingship of Jesus. A colt of a donkey was prepared for a king. We read in Luke's gospel that Jesus sent two of his disciples to go into a nearby village called Bethphage to go and fetch a colt, the baby of a donkey. Upon entering, they will find a colt tied up, in which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. This was according to Zechariah 9.9, where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In biblical times, it was common for kings, to, important people to arrive riding on a donkey. We saw that in the coronation of um, 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 in 1 Kings 1 with Solomon, who was paraded on his father's donkey as the third king of Israel. The donkey is also sometimes symbolized as peace. So those who chose to ride them show that they came with peaceful intentions. Another thing that was prepared for the king were palm branches. We have some on the uh, platform here. Um, some of the palm branches would have been big like this in those times, but sometimes they would wave ones that could just go into their hands and they would just kind of wave it like a, a public celebration. John 12, 13 says, so they took palm branches, um, palm branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the kings of Israel. Listen, I want you to stick with me because I'm building towards something. And I pray 
I cried. Listen, I cried preparing this message all week long because I saw what Jesus did for me. I mean, you know you know it, but it's another thing to just sit on the other edge side of it to see the transformation of what God was trying to bring into my life for many years that I was missing. And he's still trying to do it for many in this room and for those on, across the airways. But oftentimes we miss it. The palm branches are significant. They were used in celebration of people or a military victory or even salvation ceremony of joy. Three times we see palm branches in scripture. The one I just read, John 12, 13, also in Leviticus 23, 40, where it says, and you shall take on the first day the, the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leaves and trees, and willows of brooks, and you shall rejoice before the Lord for seven days. That was in celebration of the feast called Tabernacles. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, it also talks about palm branches, where they will have white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb that will be us by the way John says he saw a sea of people around the throne and they had palm branches waving it in their hands to celebrate the lamb that was seated on the throne hallelujah but then cloaks were laid out for the king as well Luke 19, 35 through 36 says, and they bought it, brought it, the coat to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the coat, they set on Jesus on it and he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the ground. These people in massive crowd took off their outer jackets and they began to throw them on the ground before Jesus and his coat. And, his coat. and the coat is riding, stepping on their cloaks in honor and in celebration of a king. But I'm going to let you know something else. There's another meaning for cloaks. Yes, it was an honorable thing to do that they were laying on the ground before Jesus. Laying their cloaks on the ground was a sign of submission. Kings were elevated and they were seeing them as a sign that we are under your authority. So we see that even with Jehu as king in 2 Kings 9.13. But also cloak represents inheritance and wealth. So when they're throwing their cloaks down, it's as if they're saying, everything that I have, I give to you. They threw it on the crown. Remember when the prodigal son left his father's house, the first thing the, the father, one of the things the father gave him, gave him when he came back was what? His cloak. I'm giving you your inheritance. I'm giving you your blessings, your wealth. Remember when Joseph's brother took his coat and they, and they got rid of it. It was almost as if they were saying, we're stripping you of your inheritance. We're stripping you of your wealth. Jesus cloaks us in his righteousness. Inheritance that is stored up in heaven that is for us. He places it on us. He cloaks us with his inheritance given to us and then praise was shouted for the king what did the people shout they shouted hosanna son of david hosanna in hebrew means save us now blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord he shouted that in matthew 21 9 blessed is the king of israel luke 19 john 12 blessed is the coming of our father david mark 11 10 the donkey, the palm branches, the cloak, the praise. There was no denying that Jesus was communicating. You need no longer wait for your king. Your king is here. Your king is here. 
Palm Sunday not only communicated that Jesus was king, it also communicated that he comes to fulfill scripture. He comes to fulfill scripture. Matthew 5, 17 says, Jesus says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus said he did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. One fascinating detail is, is to fulfill the Passover. Whew. The Passover. The Passover was done on the 14th day of Nisan. Okay? On the 10th day of this month, they were to get the lamb and keep it through the 14th day. Exodus 12, 3, 5 through 6 tell us that. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb. A lamb. According to their father's house, a lamb for your household. Your lamb shall be without spot, blemish, a male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day. If you couldn't afford a lamb, get a sheep or get a goat. Keep it through the 14th day where the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill the lamb at twilight. They were there to get the lamb on the 10th day, and keep it until the 14th day. What are they doing between the 14th and the 10th and the 14th day? They are inspecting the lamb. What are they inspecting the lamb for? Make sure it doesn't have any spot or any blemish. Jesus arrives on the 10th day. We're going to see that. This is very significant because from the 10th day to the 14th day, Jesus is in the temple being questioned. You know what they were doing? Inspecting the lamb. They didn't even know that on this Passover season, the Passover lamb was in their midst. They were choosing their lamb and didn't even know it. Oh man, it gets better than that. The religious leaders, even the governmental leaders as he stood before Pilate being questioned, they were inspecting the lamb. As Jesus was riding in on the 10th day, the people were crying, Hosanna in the highest. Unbeknownst to them, they were selecting their Passover lamb for sacrifice. The one and only true lamb that can take away their sins. They were selecting him and didn't even know it. Jesus was fulfilling scripture because he is church. The only and the final Passover lamb. Can I get an amen? He also fulfilled, yes, I hear you. He also fulfilled another scripture found in Daniel chapter 9. I'm not going to read it all the way, but I'm going to say this. For 62 weeks it shall be built again with scriptures, the temple, squares and moats in a troubled time. And after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city in the sanctuary. It, it shall come with a flood and to the end there will be war and desolations. Daniel chapter 9 verses 25 through 26. Daniel is giving a prophecy. 69 times seven weeks of years. The Hebrew calendar, they go up to 360 days in the Jewish calendar until the Messiah would come and be cut off. That is 483 years, 173,880 days from the declaration of Artaxerxes to rebuild the temple. Jesus was coming to the day. 
April 3rd to the day of the Jesus coming was according to this prophecy. 483 days. Palm Sunday communicates that Jesus is the only one that comes to fulfill scripture. So not only does he come revealed as king, not only did he come to reveal scripture, but I'm going to give you this final point, which is the key point. He comes with full control. He comes with full control. John 12, 23 says, Jesus says, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Up until that point, Jesus would veil his Messiahship. He didn't want people to know that he was the Messiah. Remember in Matthew 12, he, he, the Bible says he did not cry nor strive nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. In Matthew 16, he said, tell no man that he was the Jesus Christ. Matthew 5, after raising Jairus' daughter, he says, immediately charge them that no one should know of it. Mark 9, when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, he told James, Peter, and John, see to it that this this is not shared with anyone. But here we see Jesus okay with the mass amount of people giving him adoration as a king in public during the Passover. He doesn't hide it from them. He doesn't shut down their shouts. He doesn't squelch their hosannas. Why is that? John 12, 23 tells us why. Jesus said, the hour has come. For the son of man to be glorified in verses 27 through 28 he says now my soul is troubled and what shall i say father save me from this hour no it was for this very reason i came father glorify your name jesus was on divine schedule the passover the 10th day of nisan being underneath um, 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 scrutiny. He was coming on divine schedule. He was exactly where he needed to be in Jerusalem. Jerusalem had to be the place. It had to be the place where the sacrifice was. Why? Because Jerusalem had the temple. Jerusalem had the altar. And he was the lamb that will be slain on that altar. The temple was there. The altar was there. It was passed over. This was God's divine order. Church, God's divine order. No wonder Jesus rebuked Peter when Peter tried to tell him, don't go to Jerusalem. Master, we don't want you to die. You got to stay. What did Jesus say? He says, get behind me. What? Satan. Because Satan didn't want him going to the cross. Because where would we be if Jesus had not gone to the cross? No, Peter tried to stop him. And Jesus had to explain, for this very reason I came. I didn't come to live, Peter. I came to die as a ransom for many, even for you, Peter. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Lifted up in what? In death. If Christ doesn't die, Peter, you cannot live. If Christ doesn't die, if he doesn't go to Jerusalem, where would we be today? No, Jesus was on mission and he was on schedule. Jerusalem was the place because the cross awaited him there. In fact, Matthew 26, 2 on Wednesday. Oh my goodness. Whoo, Matthew, yes. Uh, 
26, 2, on Wednesday, Jesus said to his disciples, in two days, the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be crucified. In verse 5 of the same chapter, the chief priests were gathered together and they were saying, we cannot kill him now because it's the Passover and it's going to be too much of an uproar. So not during this feast or there will be an uproar among the people, verse 5. We will not have him killed during the Passover because it's not a good time for us. Jesus said in two days, I'm going to die. They're saying the ones who's about to kill him said we're not going to do it this week. We're going to do it at another time. I'm going to be arrested, Jesus said, and beaten, and I'm going to suffer. And the people who are planning it says, oh, but not this week. Let's wait. And Jesus saying, yes, you are going to do it this week. You're going to do it during this feast. You're going to do it at this time because I'm on schedule and I'm in full control. Jesus. My time has come, and this is the hour, and the cross is the destination. Listen, Jesus was not the victim of the Romans. Jesus was not the victim of the high priests. Jesus was not the victim of the Sanhedrin. He was not victim of Pharisees. Jesus is in complete control because he is on schedule to fulfill scripture. He's the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And he knew exactly where he was on God's heavenly clock. No wonder he says, you don't take my life from me. I lay it down. Come on, somebody. You can't take this from me. This is my life. I lay it down and I pick it up. I'm in control. I'm on schedule. I'm on mission for I am the lamb of God. That was, can somebody say amen? Jesus. Jesus wants to be on the cross on Friday. Because Friday is the Passover, and that is the day that lambs are slain. He is the sacrificial lamb from the foundation of the world to take away the sins of the world. No wonder John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming to be baptized, he didn't say, behold a good prophet, behold a good man, behold a rabbi. He said, behold the lamb of God that has come to take away the sins of the world. He was God's sacrificial lamb. While everybody was bringing their lamb to be slain on Passover in Jerusalem, all these families brought their lambs to be slain before God. Jesus brought himself because he is the lamb. Because he is the lamb. He brought himself on Jerusalem that day, the ultimate sacrifice. He is in complete control. He told his disciples, go into the village, get the coat. If anyone asks, tell them the Lord has need of it. Palm Sunday reminds us that no matter how crazy things may seem, God is in control. Come on, somebody needs to hear that in this room. No matter how crazy it looks in your life, no matter how crazy it looks in this world, God is in control. Whatever has you worried, whatever has you frenzied, whatever has you concerned, release your grasp and let God take the steering wheel. He drives better than you. 
He's in control. We have to let go and let God yield it and surrender to the one true king who's sovereign and all-powerful. You are fearful and worried about what's happening in the world today. Corona and all these uprisings and all these unrest. But nothing is outside of God's control. He has everything according to schedule. He is sovereign. Judas, he chose Judas. Judas had to do what he did because he was chosen for it. The Pharisees, they wanted to kill him but Jesus was in control. He was determining when he died. Pilate said, I can release you. No, you can't because I came to die. He was in control. All of it was in God's hands. Why? Because eternity was at stake. That's the big picture. See, we look at now. We look at the circumstance now. We look at the situation now, but Jesus, he sees into eternity. His eyes are on, are on the cross because that's where eternity, the salvation of man dwells within that cross. And what happens on the other side of that cross? He's in sovereign control. Over 2,000 years ago, there were different responses to this king. Different people, four different responses came concerning Jesus. And all of us, we will have one of those responses. Those that are watching online, you will. Those that are in this room, you will as well. I want us to look at the four responses. The disciples' response. John 12, 16 says, remember, these are the disciples that were walking with Jesus, that he taught them, he spent time with them, all of that. But John 12, 16 says his disciples did not understand these things until after he was glorified. They remembered the things that had been written about him and had been done to him. They were rejoicing and praising God for the mighty works they had seen, yet they didn't understand what they were seeing. They said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But we just read that they didn't understand Jesus and they knew that, yeah, okay, but they didn't understand what was written about him, that he kept telling them, I'm about to die. I'm going to Jerusalem to die and for the sins of mankind. And they still didn't get it. They went along, but they still didn't understand the true meaning of the Messiah who came to die for the sins of the world. They were on a journey with Jesus and did not understand the journey they were on. And that's many people today. They, they go along, you know, but they don't really understand the purpose of reading the scriptures. That's why many believers don't. They call themselves believers in Jesus Christ, but the only time they open the word is when the communicator, the pastor, the preacher says, now turn to. That's the most that you get out of them. They, they say that they believe, but they truly do not understand what it means to follow, what it means to worship, what it means to know the truth, what it means to pray, what it means to adore him, praise him, sacrifice, surrender. They don't even know what it means to deny yourself and follow him. That's why they will still miss him. While he's walking with them, still don't even understand who they have. Listen, we don't even understand the power that is in us as believers. 
That's why we don't use it. We don't understand the authority that we have in earthen vessels. That's why we don't use this. They did not understand their yes to Jesus. My question is for us today, do you? Do you understand who you said yes to? Do you understand what it means to follow Jesus? Have you denied yourself? Have you turned your will over to him? I know you come to church, but in the moment when, when, you, when it's right there at the edge for you to do wrong and, and you know what the scripture says, do you deny yourself? That's what it means to follow Jesus. Okay, I don't want to run out of time on you guys. So the next response is the crowd's response. And that's where many, many fall today. The crowds lined the streets. They cheered for Jesus as the long-expected king of Israel. But they were looking for another king. They wanted a political king. A military victorious king. They wanted someone to give them power over Rome. They were not interested in the Messiah that comes with a spiritual kingdom to save them from their sins and forgive them of their sins. They wanted Jesus, but they wanted him for the wrong reasons. They had a desire of what's in it for me? What have you done for me lately? All right. Yes, Jesus cares about our felt needs. Don't get me wrong. He cares about that issue that you're going through, that financial issue, that relational issue, that stress, that, that mental burden, that fear, that frustration. He cares about all of that, but he wants to get up underneath it to uproot the things that's causing those symptoms. But we just want him to address what? The symptoms. Oftentimes we want the symptom to go away while God wants to address the root issue. So we cry, Hosanna, make my marriage better. We wave the palm trees. We lay out our cloaks and we say, Hosanna, Hosanna, fix my kids. Hosanna, Hosanna, give me a better job. Hosanna, fix my marriage. Hosanna, fix my health. Hosanna, fix me. Give me vindication over lust. Hosanna, give me vindication over this addiction. We want Hosanna, but we want him just to address the issues in our lives, the symptoms in our lives. And Jesus is saying, I got to deal with the root issue in you because the root issue is not your marriage. It's not your kids. It's not the circumstances. It's the king that you're feeding within the idols that is within your own heart they missed that that's what Jesus came to do Jesus wants to dethrone us so that he can be enthroned within us but what we want is Jesus Hosanna come blessed is he who comes in the name of do my will Blessed is he who comes in the name of do my desires. Give me my desires. Give me my will. It's the king of self. It's self-focused, selfish, self-centered. It's a self-king and it's an idol that must be overthrown in all of our lives. If we truly want to experience the Lamb of God, there's a school of thought that says that there is really four core idols that we will all wrestle with. Four core, core idols. Y'all want to hear what they are? Okay. I'll tell you guys. 
first idol. Whew. Listen, when I was studying this, I saw me, church. I saw my heart. I saw my desires. You know, we mask it in good prayers. I saw that I probably wouldn't have prayed what that Egyptian pastor needed to be praying. I wasn't thinking of God, give them boldness to endure. No, take them out of the circumstance, God. Comfort them. Put your arms around them. Just, just stroke them. This man shut me up when I heard his prayers. The first king, idol, is an idol for my comfort. The idol within that longs for pleasure and ease. Hosanna, Hosanna, give me ease and convenience. Give me the things that affords me this com comfort. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes to make me happy. Mm -hmm. We will pray amiss because we pray with the wrong mo motives. We pray for our ease. I remember when I was, they were putting me in, I'm not going to go into the story because I'm so out of time. Um, but I was going into a maximum security prison. And I realized that they were putting me in the wrong prison. My crime was not um, 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 violent. And so I tried to tell them, you're putting me in the wrong prison. I'm not supposed to be in this prison. I'm not supposed to be in this prison. And they said, yeah, yeah, that's what they all say. No, 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 I'm serious. I'm not supposed to be in this prison. And I remember praying, asking God, please help her to see she's wrong. She's wrong. She's wrong. I don't belong in this prison. I don't have any gun violence. These, this particular prison, these are maximum security people, maximum um, situations. They're on death row. There's life sentences. They killed their kids and serial killings and all. I don't belong there. I'm good. And they put me in that maximum security prison. I was fearful and it's only after I was there first of all God had it set up for me he rolled out a red carpet for me in that prison I don't even have time to talk about it but it was in that prison where I started the Bible studies it was in that prison where I started the prayer meetings it was in that prison where God transformed my heart that prison was it's almost as if it was prepared for me to go through but you know you don't see it while you're going through it's only when you look back and you realize it was a sign to you no wonder David said it was good for me to have been afflicted by the Lord that affliction transformed without that prison there would be no Nadine here but we want comfort we, this is the idol of, of comfort. The next idol is the idol of control. The idol within that pursues control. Hosanna, make, make it go according to my plans. Hosanna, make it go according to my way. Make it go according to my will. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes to do my kingdom. Hosanna. The next idol is the idol for power. The idol within that longs for influence. Longs for recognition. It's all for power. Hosanna, make me be seen. Hosanna, make me shine. Hosanna, give me the glory. So when someone else get the credit, that idol within you burns. Why? Because the idol wants to be seen. Wants to be recognized. The next idol, the final idol is the idol for approval. 
The idol within longing to be accepted or desired, wanting to be feed my insecurities. Hosanna, give me approval of people. Hosanna, give me acceptance of people. Hosanna, make them like me. Fear of losing acceptance, being on the inside, sticking in, fitting in, blending into the crowd, approval from the crowd. See, for many people, he's only King Jesus and Hosanna if he gives you the power, if he gives you influence, control, comfort, approval, acceptance of others. This is a false king. It's a king on my terms. It's a self-made king. It's a king that I want to control. So when God doesn't do it, when I want it, how I want it, where I want it, I leave God. But I was serving the wrong king. It's the king within, the idol in me that has to be dethroned. And Jesus comes to expose that. He comes to expose our hearts. Why? Because there can only be one king. He will not fight with you for the position. He already has it. No one else need to apply for the position. It's already taken. Yes. Paul said, whatever I gain, I count it as loss. He laid down his cloak. He laid down his rights because he wanted the rightful king to be in position. He says that the intellect, pharisaical position, power, wealth. Paul said, I count it as rubbish for the sake of Christ. If I compare my notoriety to Jesus, my notoriety is rubbish. If I compare my wealth to Jesus, my wealth is rubbish. If I compare my comfort and my ease to Jesus, they are all rubbish. Power, control, approval, influence is rubbish when I put it up against the one true king. Paul says, I lay it down because it will never stand up underneath the pressures of life. It's inevitable to crumble. It's a sinking sand. My question is, are we following Jesus? Or are we trusting in our faulty foundations? Influence, acceptance, control, power. It's a sinking sand. They didn't get it. Church. On that first Palm Sunday, they missed the king because they didn't get it. They were looking for a military conqueror. They missed the savior. Hmm. Palm Sunday challenges our expectations of what we really need to be delivered from. The king within. It's not Rome. We need to be dethroned so that Jesus can be enthroned. They were worshiping at the wrong place. They were worshiping based on a self-made Christ in their head. It's a superficial, fickle worship. I worship you when I get something. When you do for me, when you give me. He will come as the conquering lion of Judah, riding on a horse, but not this time. This time, he came on a donkey, humility to save the lost, to give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't come in grandeur, he came in meekness. He didn't come to slay Israel's enemies, he came to save sinners, and they missed it. The Pharisees' response was to hush the praise and the worship of the people, was to quiet them, Luke 19, 39 says, because the rocks will cry out, and the rocks did. 
Because in 70 AD, the entire temple that they were trying to cultivate went collapsing down just as Daniel the prophet said, killing many beneath within its walls. They were trying to protect their relationship with the government, but the government turned on them anyway. Whatever you compromise to gain, that you shall lose. You're going to lose it anyway. They were focused on the temporary. By tomorrow, Monday, over 2,000 years ago, the crowd fell silent. There was no more Hosanna. It was a hush among the people. Can I tell you, Israel is still silent today. Israel has refused even a millennia later to recognize Jesus as the Messiah for the most part I know that there are messianic Jews I know that there are believers over there but for the most part Israel has not received Jesus as their Messiah their hosannas and their blessed in the name of the Lord went to crucify him crucify him we want a murderer we don't want this Jesus. We want a criminal. The crowd fell silent and that nation is still silent. How do you go from crucify him? How do you go from hail him to nail him when you are looking for the wrong king? You're looking to worship the wrong king. And then finally, who Lord help me, Jesus. The final response was a response from a donkey and its owner. Jesus told them to go get this donkey. The owner asked, why are you taking down my donkey, untying my donkey? They said, the Lord has need of it. The donkey's owner said nothing else. Complete submission. You know when it says that, get me a, a colt that has never been ridden on. You know why that's important? You know what a donkey do when you try to get on its back if it's not trained? It's gonna buck, it's gonna scream, it's gonna kick. This donkey went willingly, put itself under the master and had Jesus sit on him. The presence of Jesus sat on his submission to Jesus. What is Jesus after? this response a response of submission does the master have all of you are you submitted to the master why because he has need of you they came the master submitted the donkey submitted not on but yeah you can use me but there were no limits given it was total submission, period. No conditions. Here, my Lord, you want me? I am yours. You want to use me? Here I am. You want, I'm giving you my desires. I'm giving you my will. I'm giving you, listen, I'm laying down my cloak. I'm laying down my rights. I'm laying down my desires. All that I am is yours. I fully submit to you, Jesus. You could ride your presence on me. You could sit on me. And Jesus sat on this donkey. Listen, the donkey wasn't looking for adoration. He was glad to be used by the king. They 
ask Corey Tim Boom, how do you how do you keep humble? You know, she was a lady who saved thousands during the concentration camp of Auschwitz and saved so many people, risking her life. They asked her, how do you remain humble? She said, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments on the ground and singing praises, do you think for one moment it ever entered the head of the donkey that any of that was for him? She said, I'm just humbled that God will use me to save thousands. I'm just grateful that God will use me as a donkey to ride his glory in. But we want the adoration. We want the applause. We want to say, Jesus, look at me. And Jesus says he shares his glory with no man. Question is, what is your response to the king? The team can come. One had no understanding. Others had selfish desires. Others kept quiet in their worship, but the donkey fully submitted. The donkey and his owners saying, all I am is yours. All I have is yours. I will follow you. It will be an humble honor to carry your presence. We must identify what king is in you. Is it really Jesus enthroned there or is it you? Control, power. Worship, influence, see me. Look, it's a, a Jesus on my conditions. We will miss him if that's the Jesus we're looking for. He must be enthroned. The king deserving of all our worship. We're going to close in this song. I don't even want you leaving. Those that are watching online. Because I want us to sing this song in light of this, this sermon today. I think it gives a whole new meaning in light of this message today. I want us to sing along and let the words just kind of anchor into our hearts and, and just kind of search your hearts. And, and if you already have a relationship with Jesus, then praise God. Give him the glory for it, right? But if you don't, this is a great moment to welcome Jesus into your heart. Just say to yourself, I need you. I've been, I've been in the place where you belong trying to lead my own life, do my own thing and I didn't even realize how much I was in need of a savior. <laughs> I was worshiping the wrong king and I missed him. They missed him then. We don't have to miss him today. So as they're singing, if you feel at any moment to come around these altars, you're welcomed to do so. Amen. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.